I've had a little bit of a, a, a preview, should we say. I've had a trailer, a snapshot, a behind the scenes look, whatever you want to call it this morning, what Paul's going to be talking on this morning. And I'm excited to hear what Paul's got to say because it's one of those it's one of those accounts it's one of those stories in the Bible that I'm sure many of you be, will be familiar of but quite often we hear the Sunday school version as in we hear a snapshot of someone's life but there is so much that God does in an individual's life and I know Paul's going to be unpacking for us a little bit more um, about this so I'm excited to hear what he's got to say and I want to encourage you make some notes if you've got your notepad I've, I've lost my notepad if you see a beige notepad around it's mine so I'm going to be making notes on my phone this morning so make sure you get the notes app open get your notepads open you don't need a fresh page for this because I know what Paul is going to say is going to be brilliant so let's give Paul a round of applause as he comes up to the stage I'm excited. Yeah, so I've completely changed my message from what I was going to No, I'm only kidding, Rob. You did a great job. Hey, well done for getting here. Well done for joining us online, um, taking the time, whether you're on catch-up. Um, shows that you're hungry for God. Um, so, what's this? Is, what's this? One of my other magic tricks. I got into doing magic tricks, right? So that's it now. I've got to do a magic trick every time I preach. Um, but that will be revealed in a minute. Don't worry. It's not, it's not a pet. If you're allergic to animals or whatever, you're okay. Um, so yeah, we're looking at renewing your mind. Um, we've looked at cycles, healthy cycles and unhealthy cycles. Um, and I'm aware, you know, that was a great series. But I feel like I want to speak on that today, but also focus on how we renew our minds. Because renewing our minds is a process, is it not? When we come to Jesus, we think, hey, Jesus is going to sort everything out. And then we realize he doesn't. He sorts one thing out, and that is a relationship with the Father. And we're right with him. That's the one thing it sorts out. Everything else is a process, and we have to journey that process of transformation. That's why we need the Word of God. We need the Holy Spirit, and we need to go on a journey of transformation. And that happens through renewal of our thinking, our mind. Does that make sense? So I want to look at a book this morning called Judges. Now, Judges is a, what we would call a cyclic narrative. So it's full of cycles, round and round and round. Anybody else feel themselves going round and round an issue now and again? Anybody got an issue? I just keep coming back to this. It just never seems to go away. Well, guess what? You're in good company. Humanity hasn't changed. And we'll find that in Judges. So the whole of Judges is one cycle. At the beginning of Judges, they say, hey, who will lead us? We don't know where to go. Joshua has died. We need a leader. We need a king. So God says, you can have Judah, the people of praise. They will lead you. And then kind of they have some victories. And then they need other leaders. And other leaders come along. And they get to this point. That the leaders kind of work for a bit. And then the people revert back and go back into the whole way of living. They reject God and they worship other gods. And then you get this guy called Gideon. Does anybody like Gideon? Anybody? You've got to say yes. He's the name of your child. But Gideon's a really interesting character because, like Rob says, we paint him in a, we put him up there as this hero. But actually, he's got some serious issues. He's not the perfect example. He's not the guy I want him to take my daughters out and date them. Sorry, girls, I've put you on the spot. He's not because he's not a perfect example. But that brings comfort to me because I'm not a perfect example. 
And it reassures me that actually God wants to work with people who are not perfect. And he still loves him unconditionally and faithfully and amazingly gracefully towards him, which reassures me. So let's go to Judges chapter 6. So what's happened is Israel again have rejected God and they've then been oppressed by the Midianites. And they're, they're, they're pretty much starving. They're in a famine. They've got nothing to eat. And this guy called Gideon, he's been a little bit creative. He's hiding away and he's in, he's in a wine press and he's trying to sort some food out. And, uh, but the people of God are oppressed. They're in a bad situation. And they're crying out to God. And God being a loving father, or I'd like to say a loving mother who watches over his child when they cry. Any mothers in here, and you hear the cry, and you respond to the crying of your child. You hear the cry of your child, you know when they're in trouble. Father is also a mother. And he hears the sound of his child, and he responds to the cry of his child. And then he sends a prophet, as he does, to tell them who he is, that he loves them. Remember my mighty acts, what I did. I rescued you out of Egypt, my power. This is who I am. Then he explains to them, as a mum and dad sometimes do, this is where you went wrong. This is the mistakes you've made. So then he turns up to this guy called Gideon through an angel. So Judges chapter 6, verse 12, it says, When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Then... He turns up and says something else to him in Judges chapter 6, verse 14. Have we got that one? It says, The Lord turned to him and said, Go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? Then, chapter 6, verse 4, sorry, 23 says this. But the Lord said to him, Now at this point, Gideon has offered to sacrifice and he's been made aware of the presence of God and he's fearful of God and he thinks he's going to die. And God says this to him, but the Lord said to him, peace, do not be afraid, you are not going to die. Three promises initially that God gives Gideon. Three promises I believe are available for you today. Number one is this, the Lord is with you. Do you believe that? The Lord is with you. You know, the disciples in John, the first disciples to meet Jesus, they're with John the Baptist and they're with him and they see Jesus. John the Baptist sees Jesus. He says, look, he's the Lamb of God. And there's two disciples that are with him there and they go to him and they ask him a question. And the question they ask him, if you met Jesus, right, if you go to, when you go to heaven, if, if, when you go to heaven, right, what's the first question you're going to ask him? You know them random questions? I'm just going to ask Jesus this question probably really meaningless but I want to know why this bird's like that or this you know whatever random question look at what the disciples ask him it's in John 1 35 to 43 have we got it he says this when the two disciples heard him say this they followed Jesus turning around Jesus saw them following an ass what do you want they said rabbi which means teacher where are you staying where are you, Jesus? The first question as a disciple we need to fully understand is where is Jesus? In your challenge, the question you'll ask, where is God in this? Do you know where God is this morning? 
Do you know where he is in your challenge? Because if you don't, you're going to have a challenge, a bigger challenge. God dwells in you. God dwells in us this morning. Do you believe that? It's easy when it's going well. It's when it's going hard that the challenge, where are you, God? You need to have a positive confession. My God is with me because he never leaves me. Just like with, just like with Gideon, the Lord is with you. Do you believe that? You know, how God transforms us is like this. Think of a triangle. At the top of the triangle is belief, the gospel. Do you believe the gospel, right? Initially, you put your faith in God. You believe, you hear the message, you hear the word. You put your faith, what God has done. He died for your sins. He raised from the dead. He says, I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. I'll be your strength. You can have my peace. You can have my joy. That's, that's the gospel. Jesus is the king over all things. Do you believe that? We hear the message. Then God allows trials to come. And then we have a choice. What am I going to do? I'm going to hold. Do I still believe the gospel when the trial is happening? Do I still hold on to the gospel when I'm going through it and it hasn't gone the way I planned it to go? And the trial is designed to take you through the process of transformation. And, and, and it causes you to decide what you rely on. Do you rely on God's word or do you rely on your feelings or the experience that you're having? And that's the trial that God allows in your life. And the other bottom corner of the triangle is this, discipline, choice. God empowers us to choose. What will I choose? Will I choose the negative experience to form, formulate my character or will I choose to define myself by what God says? That's the triangle of transformation, the golden triangle God uses. Believe the gospel, hold on to him. God is with you. God is with me. God is with me. I'm going to hold on to God. I'm never giving up. You guys got, on, got here this morning. No traffic stopped you. You were here. It shows you can get through obstacles. No excuse. You got here. Keep going with God when the trial gets difficult. Hold on to the gospel. Jesus is king. I'm going to keep worshiping him. I'm going to hold on to him through the trial. I'm going to hold on to my God. He's the Lord. He's the king. The problem with judges is this. They wanted a king. They needed a king. And they, at times they didn't realize that God was still with them. Gideon says, if the Lord is with us, why have all these things happened to us? Why have all these difficult things happened to me? The second one is the Lord is your strength. You know, he sends him not in his own strength. He sends him in the realization that the power of God is with him. And even though he sees himself as weak, he's going to see the power of God manifest himself in and through him. It's like a vessel. It's just like a vessel, or like an open vessel that God works in and through. It's not in my might, it's not in power, my power, but it's by the Spirit of God that gives me a grace and anointing to do the things that I cannot do on my own to cause breakthrough. He is your strength. And the last one is, the Lord is your peace. You know, sometimes we think peace is to do with feelings. Peace has got nothing to do with feelings. Peace is to do with the right relationship with God. You know, the term justified, we often hear it in church, you are justified or justification. It is a legal term. It's a legal term for someone who goes to court. Paul preaches it in his messages. We're justified. You go to court and there's a judge who stands there and you go before the judge and the judge says, you've come forward with all of your stuff and you are absolutely guilty. There's no doubt. You, you, you cannot live up to the standard of the judge. But the judge says, do you know what? Today, I'm going to look at you and rather than you pay the price to go in prison, I'll go in prison for you. And I'll release you from this space now. You can go completely forgiven and go and live in this world free. That is the peace of God. So now, you and the judge, there is nothing that separates you between him and him. Him and the judge. There's no barrier. There's no sin. It's done. It's finished. Jesus did it. 
So the gospel, when you feel like you're inadequate or you're not good enough, no, Jesus paid for my sin. I am right with God. The peace of God is a choice. It's relationship with God. You go into your life and it won't feel peaceful. But the peace of God that surpasses my understanding rules my heart and mind through faith in Jesus Christ. You got it? So it's not about feelings. You focus on feelings, you'll get lost. Oh, I'm losing my peace. No, 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 no. It's peace with God. And when you understand that through faith, the Holy Spirit will give you peace in God so that you can rest in him through all, through all things. Are you still with me? So it doesn't make everything else right in your life. Oh, why is this happening? Oh, why is that person like, why aren't they at peace? Why aren't I at peace with them? That is a whole new journey for you to learn to relate and be at peace with people and forgive people. Jesus does not sort that out. He says, you sort it out. Are you still with me? Still my friends? So anybody in a cycle? Anybody want these promises? Anybody want these promises? To live a victorious, God-filled, overflowing life. So why isn't this happening? Now, some of you, it might be happening a little bit, but why is the church not empowered to be who it should be? I'm going to tell you why. I believe you can learn it from this. When God speaks to Gideon, he doesn't say, go and fight the enemy. He doesn't say, go and take the Satan down. Go and take your strong... He doesn't say that. Do you know what he says? He says, go and take, I'll read it, Judges chapter 6, 25 to 26. And I believe this is why sometimes we don't get the victory. Because we're so focused on the power of the enemy and what he can do, we don't focus on what we need to take down first. Some things first need to be broken down. Are you ready? Here's Judges 6, 25. It says this. That same night the Lord said to him, take the second bull from your father's herd, the one seven years old. Tear down your father's altar to Baal and cut down the Asherah pole beside it. Then build a proper kind of altar to the Lord your God on the top of this height. Using the wood of the Asherah pole that you cut down, offer the second bull as a burnt offering. You think, if you're going to get a victory, surely he'll give him a sword and his word and say, go and defeat the enemy. No, he doesn't. He says, there's some things that need to be broken down first before you get your victory. Why? Because this is what they worshipped. And if there's other things that we worship other than God, see, the whole of Judges is about Jesus being king. In the beginning, who leads me? At the end of Judges, they get to a point and they say, in those days of Israel, there was no king. And they did whatever they wanted to do. Just do whatever you want. There's no king. There's no Lord. Jesus is king. Is he king? Is he your Lord? Are you following him? Are you worshiping him? Do you get your affirmation from him? Hmm, we got 50% there. I, I got to say, I'd say yes, but I've realized at times I, I, there's some things that needed to be broken down in my life. I'll, can I be honest with you? There's things that I needed to tear down. And still at times, my heart latches after these things. You see, Gideon as great as he is and has some wonderful victories and he wins an external battle he actually loses an internal battle because actually at the end of his life it says he sets up an ephod in his town he set up a golden ephod in his town and they put it there and it said all of Israel worshipped it and they prostituted themselves that's an interesting word, I'm glad the kids are out most of them 
they prostituted themselves to other things to worship. And then it said, all of Israel, right, all of it, it became a snare to Gideon and his family. They were snared. They were trapped because they started to worship other something else other than God. And the whole cycle starts again. Not a good end. He names his son, my father is a king. My father is a king. He's trying to keep his legacy going on. So he names his son, my father is a king. His son decides, hey, I can be king. He's got 70 brothers. He says to his brothers, do you want me to be king? They say, yeah, you can be king. Do you know what he does to his brothers? Chops everyone's head off. This is a happy story, isn't it? He chops everyone's of their heads off. Why? Because the internal battle was not won. Because he was worshipping something else other than God. And we've, guys, we've got to break down these altars. We've got to make sure what we're worshipping is God alone. So I'm going to give you some. Are you ready? I'm going to give you some, right? If you read in Jonah chapter 2, verse 8, it says this. Those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them. So do you believe God loves you? And then you'll kind of go work or you'll go school and somebody looks at you in a certain way or you have a negative experience or you don't get a job or you get rejected and then you attach that experience to your identity and go, oh, I am a failure. Anybody else do this? Or I am inadequate or I am useless or I am not good enough. Why? Because I think sometimes the first thing that we do is we worship or we fear people. We fear what people think about us more than we know what God thinks about us. And we're worshipping people rather than the love of God that is greater than what people think about us. Are you my friend this morning? Come on, we all do it. And you say, I don't do that. I just love the Lord my God. Well, you'll know because it starts to break down in your life and you start to have panic attacks and you start feeling oppressed and you start feeling anxious because this thing that you've built up that you worship isn't really being fed and it's not giving you the peace and it's not giving you what you thought. Is this okay? You still with me? Don't worry, there is a good ending to this. We're not going to cycle like Gideon's or the Israel cycle. There is another way because there is a king. There is now a king that we can follow and can break these cycles, okay? So just bear with me. So the fear of people, Judges chapter 7, God's like, I need to break some things down in your life, Gideon. So he says, you know, they've got 30,000 soldiers. He says, the Lord said to you, you have too many men. I cannot deliver Midian into your hands or Israel would boast against me. My own strength has saved me, they'd say. Now announce to the army everyone who trembles, those who are fearful. Everyone who trembles may turn back and leave Mount Gilead. So 20,000 men left. Well, 10,000 remain. This doesn't add up with a logical mind, does it? We're taking on 132 Midianites, right? God is with us. He's got, he's given me 30,000. I've got faith that we can like, you know, you know, one in, one in four, we can kind of defeat them. But now he reduces it down to one in 13. I'm like, is God really with me when all this is falling? You know, when it's decreasing, is God really with me? But he gets rid of the people who are fearful. Or he removes them out of the battle because he knows when the battle comes, they are too fearful. They're not going to overcome. I want to introduce you to someone this morning. This is a God that I worship. This is one of my gods. Has anybody got any gods that they worship? Or idols? I've kept it under here because to me it's precious. 
And I think some people in here might worship this God. Do you want me to show you who it is? Are you ready for it? Are you ready? It's the God of comfort. It's the God of comfort. We all like to be comfortable, don't we? And if we're not careful, we create this idea or this image of this is what God is like. We even pray prayers. God, I'm going to the car park today. Please give me a car park space. Anybody else pray that? Please make my life easy, God. God, please comfort me today so I have no problems. Does anybody else pray to him? Come on, is it just me? Make my life easy. I don't want any uneasiness. I don't want to be uncomfortable. I don't want to be stretched. I don't want them feelings to be exposed. I just want it all to feel safe. Because look what he promises. It says, all day owed a defense. Some of you need that, sorry. All day owed a defense. That was a joke, by the way. If you're taking offense, please forgive me. All day owed a defense. It even says this, look, long-lasting long-lasting freshness and fragrance and softness. This promises, the God of comfort promises you every day, freshness, safeness. How many of you have got a God of comfort? You know, I, I believe God wants to comfort us, amen? He wants to comfort us in our afflictions. He wants to be there for us. I'll never leave you. I will be your strength. I'll give you peace. He absolutely wants to be there and be everything to you. But if you create an ideology that says, this God is going to make sure that my life is comfortable, you're going to have a problem. Because when it's not comfortable and it's uncomfortable, you're going to say, does this God really exist? Does he really exist because he's not doing what I wanted him to do? You see what I'm saying? Oh, where's God? Where's God? God hasn't gone anywhere. He's still the same, and he's with you. Amen? Going back to the promise, the Lord is with me, mighty warrior. He's with you. Yeah, but it's uncomfortable. Yeah, but that's okay. I'm reducing some things down in your life because I want you to rely on me and me alone. I'm taking your 30,000 down to your 10,000. I'm refining your faith. I'm increasing your faith in me rather than in you. That's why it's uncomfortable. Now, the extreme of this, we go one extreme and we swing the other extreme and go, I'm just going to be uncomfortable all the time. I'm going to do everything for the Lord. I'm going to do it and no one can stop me. So we go from one extreme to the other extreme and we burn out. We say yes to everything and we burn out. Or we just say no to anything and we're absolutely no use to produce anything in the kingdom of God because we're so focused on ourselves and being comfortable. Are you still with me? I know at times I can go to this God. It's about being comfortable. It's actually about being balanced. It's actually me about swinging from comfort and trying something new and getting out of my comfort zone, but not being extreme to the point where I need to do everything because it's affirming my identity. So the balance is, this, this is, this is the word of God. This is the truth. This is, this is wisdom. You ready? Let your yes be yes and your no be no. Okay? You decide what you're going to do but get out of comfort zone and make sure you're not in too extreme uncomfortable zone and be fruitful. And when, it's not, when it does get uncomfortable, hold on to the word of God and the promises of God. My God is with me. He is my strength and he is my peace. Amen? But watch out you don't worship this one because he'll promise but not fulfill because you'll have to keep washing every day. 
Okay, so fear of people. The second one is this, hero worship. Gideon's got a problem with hero worship. When he goes into battle, he says this. Now, this is a matter of interpretation. You might agree, disagree with this, but if you look at the fruit further down the line, you'll see when he sets up that ephod and he self-worship in his own town, I think he's got an issue. It says he, he sorry, just come back. Judges 7, it says this. When I and all who are with me blow our trumpets, then from round the camp blow yours and shout, for the Lord and for Gideon. So Gideon is adding his name into the victory of God. It's a little bit like this. It's a little bit like this. Imagine John writes the gospel. And he's been really close to Jesus, right? John writes the gospel very, very close to Jesus. He said, because I really knew Jesus, right? He's my mate. Bit of name dropping. When I write this gospel, this is what I'm going to do. John 3.16. For God so loved the world. Doesn't quite sound right. For God so loved the world. No. For God and John so loved the world that, he, that we gave our only friend and son. Do you see the difference? And this causes a problem in our lives when we start to elevate ourselves as the hero. We need the affirmation. We want to be the one who's in charge. We want the one who, who gets the, all the glory. And that causes a problem. Now, do we need to be affirmed? Absolutely. But not at the detriment of ourselves and not to the detriment of other people. So I think he has an issue with hero worship. That this God that I worship is going to do everything that I want and for me. The danger with this as well, what we can do is this. We can take the word of God and we can lift it, right, our, we, we can put the word of God here and then we can get what we want and we can change the word of God to fit what we want and put our idea above him. Does that make sense? That's a form of hero worship and that's a form of putting our idea above God rather than actually doing what the word of God says. If you want the victory, you're going to have to put the word of God at the top. He's the one that you worship. Don't try and change it to suit your needs. Sorry, you didn't want to hear that this morning, did you? So, people, fearing people, hero worship. I'm going to share an example of one of the things I've had to work through, I'm being honest with you. When I started doing my master's, I kind of had a bit of a meltdown because I didn't think I could do it. Anybody had one of them? You try something new and you think, right, I, I, I'm getting out of my comfort zone, Okay. I'm getting out of my comfort zone, then I start having a meltdown because I think I can't do it. And the reason is because underneath was a fundamental belief that I'm not very clever. So it exposes this idea around me and what I want. But I said, okay, I'm going to do it now. I'm going to have to go through to it. And you're having meltdowns. You're talking to people and it's dealing with all this stuff in your life. And I've, and I've carried on doing it. I'm doing it. I'm, I'm getting there. I'm nearly there. <sighs> nearly there. Nearly there. Right? So many words left of me at dissertation. But the point was this, during doing my dissertation recently, and I was talking to someone about the way I think and the way I feel about myself, that I'm not very clever. And this person said, just put it all down on paper, what you've done in your life. Look at your achievements and what you've done. And I looked at it and I thought, yeah, I have done that, and I have done that, and I've done it, I've become a teacher, and I've done it, you know, I'm not boasting here. But it's the realization of what I'm seeing here and what I'm believing. Do you see what I'm saying? 
and it doesn't match up. My belief doesn't match up to what's actually happening. There's no match. There's no correlation. Something's not matching up to the realization of what I've done in my life. And this guy just said to me, he said, you know, I think some things went on when you were younger and some things were said, and at some point, this is what you did. You made a decision. And I thought, is that what I did? I made a decision that I'm not clever. I made the decision. Now, whether the enemy or whatever tricked me in that lie, I don't know. But I have received the lie that I'm not very clever. And I chose that, and I made a vow to commit to that belief that I am not very clever. And I believed that for 40 years. But I'm still here today, I'm still doing what I'm doing. But underneath was this worship of something else. And it wasn't until he said that, and I thought, wow, I've made a vow. I made an agreement with something that happened to me that made me feel silly and shameful, and I formed my whole identity around that experience, that one experience in life, I formed my full identity for 40 years, I believed I'm not very clever. And I'm reading, me, I'm doing my work, later on in the week, that's why I agree, agree with Tim about renewal in my mind, it's a process, you start to think on what the truth is, it doesn't always happen straight away, there's a journey. And I'm doing my work, and all of a sudden I looked and I thought, do you know what, I aren't stupid. I'm not stupid. I realized what I wasn't. I realized that that needed to be broken down. That idol, what I've worshipped, needed to be broken down. I am not stupid. I am clever. When he put me in my mother's womb and formed me, there was no inadequacy. There was no lack. I was born with everything. God's presence, his power, his resource for life was available when I was formed in him. That's the truth. Okay, I'm just being honest with you. But for 40 years, I've said, I'm not good enough or I'm stupid. See, the victory on the outside looked great, like Gideon. But on the inside, there's another battle that needs to be won, Paul. And that made me ill. It made me anxious. It made me stressed. It made me almost have a breakdown where the point where Sarah was carrying me week on, week out. But I'm so glad, sorry Sarah, I'm so glad I've come through it and I've come through the other side. But I thank God for Sarah who supported me when I was at my weakest. Why do I tell you that? Because this, I believe many of us have experiences in life and they might not seem huge experiences. It might just be someone who said one word to you that was unkind. It could be one person just looked at you the wrong way and you say, no one loves me anymore, I'm not loved and I've formed a belief that I am not loved. I have formed a belief that I am inadequate. You know where Gideon gets his inadequacy? This is what he says when God says to, goes to him. He says, my tribe in Manasseh is the weakest. He said, I am the weakest. I am the least in my family. Complete inadequacy. Complete inadequacy thinking. Where did that come from? Well, Gideon's great, 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 great grandfather was Manasseh. And Manasseh was the son of Joseph. And when Joseph took his sons to be blessed by Jacob, he was the oldest and he should have been blessed with the right hand to have the inheritance. But instead, he switched them over. And the young little kid, Ephraim, he got put first. And Manasseh, who was the biggest, he gets put underneath. You see the pattern? So now I'm less than my younger brother. There's a comparison going on that then minimizes who he is. And then when they go into battle to Canaan, they try and take the Canaanites out. Manasseh has a go. Guess what? Manasseh can't defeat the Canaanites. 
doesn't think that they can win. It's inadequacy thinking. It's based on it's based on spiritual inheritance that's been passed on, and that thinking is built within their thinking. It's generational thinking. My father was like that. My great-grandfather was like that. So I'm like that. Well, guess what? You don't have to be like that. You don't have to be what the enemy says. You don't have to be what your past says. You don't have to be what anyone else says. But you can be what God says you are. So what does God say you are? Sorry, these are getting sticky. They're coming off. They're doing me, Adam. Right? What does God say you What does God say you are? Come on. I'm going to tell you this is the most, most important fundamental thing that we need to know. Are you ready? That you are loved. Now, that is who God is. That is who he is. He is love. So if we worship him and him alone, not the love of people, not the love of money, which is a snare, not the love of anything in this world, but if I will love him with all of my heart, I will realize that I am loved by the king. The king who died for me. The king who paid the price for me. The king who's elevated. The king who's above all things. That's the gospel. He's above all things. But if you won't break them idols down, you can keep worshiping all your life. I'll worship this comfort. I'll worship about what they said about me. I'll worship about how my brother treated me or my sister treated me or the job, the rejection. We've all got victim mentality and we can hold on to it all our lives. Or we can say no more. No more. And by the way, God's not going to do anything else for you. It's your choice. You can blame that person. You can blame anyone else. You can even blame, I don't know, Snoopy, whatever. Right? If you're blaming, 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 you're not going to change. You're stuck in a cycle. Stop blaming. Take responsibility. Choose Jesus and worship him. He could have, he could have given up on you. He could have given up on Gideon, but he didn't give up on Gideon. When Gideon tried to manipulate him, when Gideon said, if you just, if I put a fleece out, God, I, I need to, I, I hear what you say, I believe your word, but if you'll just show me, then I'll believe you. God's like, you know what? We'll go again, Gideon. Still love you when you get it wrong. Still love you when you get it right. Who's the hero of the story? God. Gideon's not the hero. We're not to worship heroes, we're to worship God. God's, God's the hero. Yes, we can learn from these, negative and positive, but the hero is God. God's the king who comes. God's the king who we worship. God's the one. Is he above? Is he above your situation right now? Is the situation making more noise? Ooh. Or is God making more noise? Because you'll realize when God makes more noise, you'll realize there is no noise because he's silent. And there's peace and stillness, and calmness, and comfort in your pain. Who's making more noise? You'll tell who your idols are because they'll make more noise in your life. They'll be making noise. You're not good enough. There's something there. Now, this is what we're going to do. Is this okay? Are you still with me? A few more minutes. I'm going over, but I really feel we need to do this. When Gideon reduces, when God reduces the second lot of army down from 10,000 from 10, to 300, God says this to him. He said, go to the water. He says, the ones that lap up like dogs, them are the ones that are going to come with me. 
the ones that kneel, they're going to go home. Still loves them, but they're not going to win the battle. And the reason they're not going to win the battle is, have you ever seen this on YouTube or TikTok or whatever, right? You've seen these clips where you see this animal is going to the water hole. Have you seen them? And it's usually a deer or an antelope, really, really innocent creature, and it's going to the water. And it usually knows that there's something else in the water. You see what I'm saying? And it goes, and it's like, it gets the water and it goes. But the ones that go a little bit, can't be bothered, and like, go down to the water, and you know what happens? The crocodile comes and bang, it gets them. You see what I'm saying? So what is God saying here? He's saying those who are singular-minded, those who are devoted, those who are focused, those who are disciplined on my word and hold on to it through the storm, those who don't let go of it, you'll be the one who get the victory. You'll get the, one, you'll get the source of power because you're holding on, you're steadfast, and you're not moving through the storm. See, I would rather have 300 people that are concentrated, devoted, and sacrificial because of the love of God than have 10,000 people who are like, oh, we're going to go, oh, this is hard work. No, God says, do you love me? Do you love me? Come on. You've got to be single-minded to win the victory at times. You've got to be disciplined in your approach. Yeah, but they said that. Yeah, but what does God say? Oh, yeah, take that thought captive, move it out of the way. I don't, I'm not going off their love, I'm going off his love. You've got to be disciplined. You've got to say, I'm not listening to that, I'm listening to this now. You've got to, put it, you've got to be like that. You, the enemy's going to go, see, you're no good anymore. All right, okay, yeah, I'm no good anymore, I'll just go back home. No, you've got to be alert to the words of the enemy that he doesn't affirm the wrong thing in you, but God's voice affirms the right thing in you. The enemy will bring accusations, God will bring affirmation. So some of you, this is what we're going to do. The band want to come up. This is what we're going to do. Two things. First thing is this. I'm going to pray and believe that some of you, if you're struggling with inadequacy, I'm useful, I'm no good, and, and I don't know why you've done that, and you might not even ever know why you did that, but at some point you took a vow to believe what has happened to you. And it's, it's now formed your identity rather than just it was a thing that happened. That's not who you are. A thing that happened isn't who you are. So that needs to be broken. And you break that by doing this. I refuse that inadequacy. Father, forgive me for that vow that I made. Today, I choose to make a vow to your word. And this is what will happen if you do that. The enemy now has no power, and God will lead you and give you the discernment to see his word above the enemy. And I'm going to believe that's going to happen in your life. If you're struggling with inadequacy, I'm useless, I'm no good. And that could be that you're struggling with hero worship that you want to be affirmed no one sees me no one loves me it's the same thing God sees you that should be enough that's the one who you worship idols need to be broken and go you won't be released in the fullness unless that God God has to work in that before he can use you even more so that's the first thing we need to do the second thing is this I want you to make a choice number one where do you stand with God first standing point are you in right standing with God? Have you given your heart and life to Jesus Christ and you accept the forgiveness of God and you've chosen that you and God, there's no, no barrier now? And you say, oh no, I don't feel the presence of God. I don't. No, no, there's no barrier now. That's a lie. You can come into the presence of God and know his fullness. 
So where are you standing with God? First stand. And the second stand is this. If you're going through something right now, I want you to make a choice or just make a fresh commitment. I'm going to stand. I'm going to stand to my king who stood to me. I'm going to stand to the king and worship him with all of my heart because he gave his life for me. And he's going to be the king of my life. He's going to be the one who leads me. You know, when Peter messes up, he fails, and Jesus goes and loves him, and he says, do you love me? Do you love me? And he says, you know, I love you. He said, when you were younger, he said, you used to dress yourself. You used to put on your own clothes when you were younger. You chose what you wanted to do. He said, but now that you're old, you're mature, somebody else will lead you. And he ultimately lands, he's going to go to the cross and be crucified in the same way that Jesus led him. And he said, Jesus said, follow me. Follow me. I'm going to ask you this morning to make a stand. Come on, let's stand. Maybe some things have spoken to you. This is between you and God. Maybe you've been in comfort for too long and you need to get out of comfort and do something new. Or maybe you've been extreme and you've been doing too much and it's you need to come back in line and say, actually, I decide what I do. Whatever it is, I want you to close your eyes and I'm going to pray. Or maybe it's today, I just need to be right with God. Today, I choose to stand in his love. You see, when we stand in his love, there's nothing greater than God's love. God's love is full of power, power to break anything in our lives. It is the greatest power that is available to us. It will resource us, it will fill our hearts, it will break down barriers. There is nothing greater than the love of God. And it's a choice to stand in his love. So Father, I thank you for these people. I thank you for everyone who's here. Father, you know the things that they've chosen to listen to that are not of you. Father, as they put them aside today, may they experience you and know you in a greater depth. May they know the power of your love for them this morning. May they be overcomers. May they experience your spirit, Lord, that you are with them, that you are, your, your, you are their strength, and that, Lord, you are their peace. And that no matter what they face, Lord, victory is available through you in Jesus Christ. Amen. Come on, let's worship him.